Now, over the past couple years, I've gotten to know someone. I see him when I'm out in the community working on my sermons. And I hadn't seen him for a while. We've had some gospel conversations in the past, and, well, he knows I'm a pastor. So this week on Wednesday, he saw me, and he made a beeline over to me. And he said, I have some questions for you. And I said, bring it on. (laughs) I wasn't prepared for his question. Here's what he asked. He said, what percent of your people actually understand what you're preaching about? And so my initial answer was, well, hopefully everyone. Well, he wasn't buying that. So he continued. This is what he said. Are you sure? Why don't you do a survey? Because it's, well, it's probably less than you think. And so I responded and I said, game on. And I know this is risky. But if you would just raise your hand if you find the sermons understandable. That's pretty good. You did better than last night. Last night, I'm going to have to give a report to this guy, so thank you. Your response was better. Not 100%, by the way, but, but pretty good. Now, before he walked away, he challenged me with one last thing. He said, keep your sermons simple and applicable. Well, I'm going to take his challenge seriously and do my best to make this sermon as understandable as possible so I can give him a report. Well, last week we learned that creation and Christians are groaning. The world around us is out of whack, and believers are bummed out as well. And we were challenged with this truth to get through your groaning focus on the glory to come. Well, in our passage today, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit groans when we are hurting. Open up your Bibles. We're in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. You follow along as I read. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So let's hold on to this truth. You're not alone when you're in the groan zone. See, the groan zone is when you sigh more than you even speak. When your inner agony is so deep, you can't even express it, and perhaps you're there right now. Notice how Paul begins, likewise, the Spirit helps us. He's linking to what we learned last week, and he says, so likewise, the Spirit is ready to help us. And Paul front loads the Greek word helps with two prefixes to intensify it. It's it's, well, it's like in, in our language, it's like when we put something in bold letters, all caps, and then we italicize it and we follow it with a yellow highlighter. The root means 
to lay hold of something. The two prefixes mean along with or in the place of. So the word helps, well, it's in the present tense, meaning the Holy Spirit helps constantly, continuously. Oh, it's also in the active voice, meaning the Holy Spirit is dynamically active, not passive. He not only takes the initiative in our sanctification, he is working all the time, sanctifying us, enabling us to live the Christian life. Oh, let me remind you what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, it's actually good for you that I'm going away. And they're like, what? We don't want you to go. No, Jesus said, it's good that I'm going to go because I'm going to send someone else. He's the helper, John 14, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that's the word here, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be, wait for it, in you. The Holy Spirit in you. Well, that's developed later that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that title helper can also be translated as comforter. So the Holy Spirit serves as our counselor, our comforter. And according to John 16, 8, he also convicts us of sin. Why? Because he's right here with us. He's right here next to us. And he is in us. When I say us, I'm referring to those who've been born again by the Spirit of God. Friends, you are not alone when you're in the groan zone. Now, here are two specific times when the Holy Spirit helps us. Number one, when we're weak and weary. The Spirit who is holy, would you observe, helps us in our weakness. That word weakness means without strength. It means incapacitated. It means when you can't get off the couch, when you don't think you can get out of bed when you don't think you can, you can even move. And, and that's hard for some of us because we think we got to be strong. We just got to, we got to tough, we got to be tough. And, and actually the Bible says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, the second time the Holy Spirit helps us is when we're perplexed about what to pray for. The Holy Spirit helps us when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Sometimes all we can get out is a lot of sighing and a lot of crying. Psalm 5, verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. There have been many times as a pastor when I've been in that spot, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to pray. I'll never forget how paralyzed and perplexed I was about 15 years ago when a woman from our church called me and said, my children are missing. They were two and four years old. And she believed the father had taken the children. And she asked me to lead a vigil. Several hundred people came to the vigil where we were praying for the safe return of these children. A couple days after the vigil, they found the children in a river 
And I'll never forget being in this woman's apartment. It was Christmas time. And there were birthday presents for her two children unopened. And I realized that those children are never coming home again. I was asked to do the funeral. And I'll never forget sitting at my desk. I had my Bible open, but I couldn't read it. Those children were the same age as two of our daughters. I didn't know what to say. I called some pastor friends and I said, hey, you have a suggestion? You have any help? And they were very helpful, but my biggest help came from the Holy Spirit as he took my pitiful prayers and turned them into a message of comfort for that dear family. Perhaps you've experienced something similar. The second half of verse 26 tells us what the Holy Spirit does, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself, intercedes for us. So in contrast to our paltry prayers, the Spirit himself... Okay, get this, church. This, this is a mind blow. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. The word intercede means to speak on behalf of, to plead someone's case before a superior. It was used of rescuing someone who was in trouble, who had no resources on his own or her own to escape. Now, that's an incredible truth. Holy Spirit lives within us. Holy Spirit prays for us. You're going to be so glad you came to church today because I have such good news to share. We not only have the Spirit interceding in our heart, we have the Son interceding in heaven. We just sang about that. Well, let me show you where to find that. Same chapter, drop down to verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. <laughs> so, so maybe you're like, man, no one's praying for me. Uh, not true. You have two perfect prayer partners always interceding for you. That means you're not alone when you're in the groan zone. Now, the last phrase of verse 26 tells us how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Notice, with groaning, groaning too deep even for words. That word groanings, notice, is in the plural, which speaks of intensely deep groanings. I find it so comforting that the comforter groans with me as I deal with the garbage in my life. Well, he does even more. Look at verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God the Father knows our motives. I take great comfort knowing that God knows what's in my heart. Well, let me add, sometimes I find discomfort with that realization. The word for search means to make a thorough investigation. It's in the present tense, meaning this is God's continual activity. We're reminded of that, 1 Chronicles 28.9, for the Lord searches all hearts. He's searching your heart right now. 
He knows what's in it. And he understands every plan and every thought. Number two, God the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. Since the Father knows what's in our hearts, he certainly knows the mind of the Spirit. In fact, there's complete unity within the Trinity. And number three, God the Holy Spirit helps us pray according to the Lord's will. I wonder how many of my prayers are according to my will and not according to God's will. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So the Holy Spirit prays constantly and continually for believers. He takes our frail, our feeble, our faulty prayers. And this is so comforting. He translates them to the Father so that they're acceptable and in harmony with his holy will. After John 3.16, Romans 8.28 may be the most treasured verse in the Bible. How many of you love Romans 8.28? Yeah, well, let's take a look at it. And we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, as many of you as raised your hands that said you love the verse, some of you push back a little bit when you hear this verse. Here's some reasons. Number one, it's been misused. And perhaps this verse has been thrown in your face when you've been suffering. Secondly, it's been misquoted. This verse is often taken out of context. Many are familiar with verse 28, but less familiar with verses 29 and 30. We're going to take care of that today. Often when it's quoted, key words are left out. I've heard it put like this. Well, everything will work out in the end. Or this. This tragedy that you're going through, it's a good thing. Friends, those words are not only hollow, They are hurtful to someone who's already hurting. And finally, it's been misunderstood. My goal today is to help us fully understand what God is saying to us. After all, I have to report to my friend this week. So let's look at God's promise. We're going to see his purpose and finally the process he takes us through. Let's look at it phrase by phrase. The word and is a connecting word. It links us to what we just studied. We're never alone when we're in the groan zone. So in the midst of sighing and suffering, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. We know that. The word we is a universal truth for all Christians. The word no refers to assurance. Notice it doesn't say we wish. Notice also it doesn't say we feel. It doesn't even say we think. What's it say? We know. Now listen, you might want to lean in here. If you don't believe in God's sovereignty, you are going to have a really hard time with suffering. And so let me just say it as simply as I can. Everything is either allowed by God or brought about by Him. And if you have not settled the doctrine of God's sovereignty, you need to settle it right now. Here's the truth in a nutshell. He's God and we're not. No, I'm serious. Settle that. And you need to settle it when you're in church, 
when you're receptive and you got your Bible open and you're like, God, I want to learn. Here's why you got to settle it. Because when suffering comes, you're going to have a hard time remembering that. Because you'll get really mad and you may end up blaming God and turning on Him and becoming bitter and, and, and growing far from God. So settle it now. He's God. We are not. Impress Isaiah 55 verse 8 on your hearts, on your minds, for my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord Yahweh. Notice next, all things. Oh, that's pretty absolute. All things. It doesn't say some things or most things, but all things. No exceptions, no caveats. That means all the bad, all the sad, whether we're in poverty or prosperity, it covers our seasons of success, sweetness, sorrow, and suffering. It was David Jeremiah who said, too often we try to use God to change our circumstances while he's using our circumstances to change us. Oh, let's see if we can get this next phrase. Work together. God is always at work whether we see him working or not. All things don't work out for good on their own. Rather, God providentially works all things together for good for his people according to his purpose. That phrase, for good, most of us define good differently than God does. We like to feel good. We like good money. We want good health. We want a good job. We want a good house. We want good relationships. In short, we think a good life means a better set of circumstances than we have right now. Friends, God knows what's good for us because he's a good God. God is not saying all things are good, but that he works his ways and his will together to accomplish his good. So with that in mind, even problems can be profitable. Why? Because God's good for us is not our comfortability, but our conformity to Jesus Christ. That's God's good for us. Well, let me see if I can illustrate. Are you guys aware it was Pastor Ed's birthday yesterday? And, and I wanted to celebrate Ed's birthday, and so I wanted to do something really special for him. So, so I put together a cake for him. And I, I said, hey, Ed, you mean a lot to me, and I just want to hand you these ingredients for this cake. And, and Ed would be like, what are you talking about? So if you look at these ingredients, like, I mean, who's going to sit down and eat a bowl of flour, right? Or, or chug some vanilla extract. <laughs> or now the egg or the milk and the butter aren't bad. They're from Wisconsin. So, but, <laughs> but most of us would struggle to get this stuff down. It's not palatable. But when they're mixed together and then they're put in the what? oven, which is hot. There's a lot of heat there. And it comes out, the taste is definitely good. So let me apply it. What you might be going through right now, 
It could be represented by one of these ingredients. And maybe you're like, man, I got five or six things going on. And none of the ingredients on their own taste very good. But watch this. God is mixing everything together, all the ingredients at the right time, in the right way, in the right proportions to give him glory and to bring us ultimate good. Do you believe that, church? Come on, I'm going to have to tell my friend, you know, do do you believe that, church? Yeah. Oh, did you notice I skipped over a phrase? Anybody catch that? What what phrase did I skip over in the verse, Romans 8, 28? Yeah, well, let's go back to it. For those who love God. You see, this promise is only true for those who are truly saved. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who, listen for it, love him. Now, the last part of verse 28 spells out how God has a purpose behind his plan, who are called according to his purpose. God's ultimate purpose is, is to bring glory to himself, listen, by conforming us to the image of his son. As such, he's more committed to our holiness than he is to our happiness. I mean, you won't hear that just anywhere. God is more committed to your holiness than to your happiness. God is in complete control of every event, every circumstance in his creation. He does not cause evil, but he does control all things, so his will is accomplished. That means the incidents in your life are not incidental. Whatever you're wrestling with today, remember God is working out his way and his will to bring him eternal glory and to achieve what is ultimately good for you. Are you still with me? Okay. Now, to accomplish this purpose of bringing glory to himself, God designed this five-step process that we see in verses 29 and 30. Might draw your attention there now. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. This process is linked to the promise in Romans 8:28. Now, before we go further, let me just remind you, Paul's purpose in writing these words is pastoral. His purpose is practical. Now, the reason I say this is because this passage And others like it, like Ephesians chapter 1, has led to controversy, conflict among Christians. Why? Well, because of the word foreknowledge and predestination. 
Okay, let me bring us back to the primary reason Paul was writing the book of Romans, to comfort Christians going through persecution in Rome. Now, because I'm going to try to be as understandable as possible, let me see if I can summarize or resolve the relationship between election and human responsibility. I took a whole sermon on that three years ago, so I'm going to just do it in one sentence. You ready for it? All right, here it is. God is supremely sovereign. And we are responsible for our response to him. The word sovereign means God has absolute authority. He has complete control. And the proper reaction to the consideration of God's supreme sovereignty combined with the responsibility I have to respond to him, my response should be one of wonder and worship. And so as we walk through this, my aim is to simply let the Scriptures speak and not to defend a certain theological view. So to that end, let's dive in. Would you know, this is a process which commences in heaven, that's where it starts, and it ends, it culminates in heaven. Once God starts it, it'll be completed because salvation from beginning to end is the work of God. And we see five key words which are closely connected, often referred to as the golden chain of salvation. But before we get to these, let me make a couple observations. First, God is the one who does the work of salvation, and he continuously works to make us more like the Savior. Second, all five of these actions are done for every believer. We see that in the use of the word also. Let's look now. Number one, God chose us. The first phrase, for those whom he foreknew. To foreknow means to know something in advance. It also means to choose. So before you and I were even born, God knew us. By the way, that's one of many reasons why we stand up for the preborn. Jeremiah 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, before you were born, or before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Now, this is a corrective to us when we think that we chose God. I love the wit of Charles Spurgeon. He said this one time, quote, I'm glad God chose me before he saw me, because if he waited until he saw me, he might not have wanted me. <laughs> Number two, God changes us. Foreknowledge determines who God's children will be. Predestination determines what God's children will be. Would you observe he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. God is chipping away at us to conform us into the image of Christ, not to make us comfortable. So, so if the word predestination, if you got alarm bells going off and you're having a hard time even listening now, oh, I plead with you, consider the context. In the context, it means God has decided beforehand where you're going to end up. 
Your destiny and your destination have been decided because God has determined that one day you will be like the Lord. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been predestined to go to heaven. That is good news, church. Number three, God calls us. The next link in the chain, he also called Now, this initially was used of those who received an invitation to a banquet. God's given a general call to everyone and a specific call to those who will respond. This specific call is this irresistible inward pull of the Holy Spirit as he woos you to Jesus Christ. Now, let me put it in simple terms that I can understand. If you're a Christian... Well, then you're called. If you're not a Christian yet, well, then you need to respond to his call. One of the 18 individuals baptized last Sunday afternoon, it was just an incredible afternoon. Like It took well over an hour because we heard so many testimonies. One individual gave this simple but powerful testimony, which speaks of this truth, quote, after being called pulled to church, I received Jesus as my Savior. Well, let me remind you what Jesus said, John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Number four, God cleanses us. The next link in the chain is justified. That means to be declared righteous. Everyone God calls, he also justifies. We're considered clean and secure because Jesus, in his great exchange, took our rottenness, and in the place of our rottenness, he has given us his perfect righteousness. Number five, God completes us. The word glorified refers to finally becoming like Jesus. Now, would you know this is future, but the words are in past tense. You see it? And those whom he justified, he also, past tense, glorified. (laughs) Your glorification is as certain as if it already happened. God's purpose is to bring us all the way to glory. God's glorification, our glorification, is guaranteed according to Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to what? Completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, try to keep it understandable and simple. Let me see if I can bring it together. God foreknew you and predestined you in the past. God called you and justified you in the present. And God glorified you in the future. Your salvation is secure. J. Vernon McGee said it like this. If God foreknew 100 people, then he predestined 100. If God predestined 100, he called 100. If God called 100, he justified 100. If God justified 100, then he glorified 100. It's not as if God starts out with 100 and loses some in the process. It's not as if he foreknew 100 and then he predestined 80, then he calls 60, then he justifies 40 and only has about 20 left to take to heaven. doesn't work that way. Friends, you and I can hold on when we're hurting because glory is on the way. 
1 Peter 5.10, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We can trust God to work it out because we are cocooned in his grace as he works all things together to make us more like Jesus. He weaves his way and his will for his supreme glory and our ultimate good. I think of Joseph, who's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's mistreated by Potiphar. He suffered greatly, and yet he's looking at his brothers who had sold him. He's looking right at them, and this is what he says to them. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. After my friend gave me sermon advice this week, he brought his wife over and he introduced her. He told her that he passed on some ideas to the preacher for his sermon. She rolled her eyes. (laughs) And then she said this, I don't doubt it. I hope he didn't tell you to preach about hell and damnation. Well, I bridged from that. And I said, well, hell is real, and we don't have to go there if we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. To which she responded, well, I'm sure I'll spend a long time in purgatory, and I hope I don't go to hell. And so as quickly as I could, I told her if she puts her full faith and trust in Jesus, she won't do time in purgatory, and she can avoid hell altogether. She became nervous and just walked away quickly. Hey, don't walk away if that's you. If you've not yet come to Christ in repentance, would you turn to him now and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross who died in your place? And when he died, God the Father accepted him as full satisfaction, as the propitiation for your sins. His death, his blood satisfied God's holy and righteous wrath. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave, showing his victory over death, his victory over the devil, and his victory over our own depravity. Repent and turn to him right now. God, we thank you for this reminder, this truth for those of us who you have drawn to yourself. Lord, I want to pray for that individual now. Lord, I pray that they would stop resisting you and that they would surrender fully in repentance to you, turning to you, crying out for salvation, trusting Jesus in your finished work and in your resurrection. Lord, would you save that individual now by faith for your glory and now work your way and your will in all of us to conform us to the image of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.